Tonight, I can report to the American people and to the world that the United States has conducted an operation that killed Osama bin Laden. Where we continue to follow the capture and killing of Osama bin Laden now. Those are just some of the scenes overnight as thousands of Americans gathered in celebration of Osama bin Laden's death. Former Navy SEAL Rob O'Neill says he has thought about the mission every day since that May Day in 2011. From multiple conversations you had with Rob O'Neill over the past year and a half, how'd you get And you described that his head kind of exploded yes. when you hit I, him. Yes, I actually hit him three times because I shot him twice when he was standing and once on the ground. That is the fucking American badass. Go, go, go. We are not going for fame and we are not going for bravado. We are going for the single mom who dropped her kids off at elementary school on a Tuesday morning, and then 45 minutes later, she jumped to her death out of a skyscraper. If you need help, hang up and then dial your operator. I'm Rob O'Neill, and this is the Operator Podcast. Welcome back. This is episode six of The Operator. I wanted to start today by telling you that stress is in your head. Stress is a choice. Stress is a bag of bricks that sits by your bed. It's right there in the morning when you wake up, and if you decide to, if you want to, you can pick stress up, put it over your shoulder, let it weigh you down. It's unnecessary, but you can start your day off with stress, with a negative attitude, ruin everyone else's day around you, or at any time, and you should try this, you can put stress down and forget about it. Just by thinking about forgetting about it, you can get rid of stress. Stress is a choice. Stress is in your mind. It's like guilt. What's the point of guilt? That play is over. Learn from it and move on. Learn from your mistakes. You're going to make mistakes. I mentioned in my last podcast that failing is never quitting, but quitting is always failing. That's the truth. If you did something, you messed something up, believe me, I've messed stuff up, learn from it, and then um, get over it. Try to never do it again. Just by feeling guilty about something in the past, it's never going to happen because, like we always say, time keeps moving forward. Stress is a choice. So speaking, speaking of stress, um, the Air Force is going to cut funds for a lot of their special operators. I'm not sure if you're reading about this. They're saying for um, a lot of PJs. The pararescue guys who are basically combat trauma guys, paramedics that we go with us that save people's lives when they get shot, guys that test parachutes, guys that are badasses, know how to tie ropes and climb mountains, mountaineers, all that stuff. They're looking at like a 75% to $450 a month pay cut. Uh, some of them, 900 to $5,400 a year, which is quite a bit because when you're in the Navy, in the military... You're pretty much working paycheck to paycheck, and they ask a lot out of you. I know dudes that were mowing their own lawns and then got called to go rescue Richard Phillips from Somali pirates in, uh, off the coast of Africa, just like that. But now they're talking about cutting pays because uh, they're saying with this inflation that we can't get rid of, we need to get more money. So the government's basically in charge of the inflation. The inflation's happening even though there's the ref inflation reduction bill or law that went into play. And all that did was spend more money. Basically, if you're in Washington and you're a politician, spend more money and it'll just throw money at the problem. It'll be fall. They've actually selected uh, um, that members of the military get on food stamps. 
I don't know if you know a lot of military people, especially special operators like PJs, like the combat controllers, the um, dudes that call in bombs, the TACPs. They're not the types that they're going to, they are going to go out there and they're going to run until their feet bleed and they're never going to quit. They're not the type of guys to go get food stamps because that's just a handout when they can earn it, when they're working harder than more people out there anyway. So we're asking our, our combat veterans, our current enlisted guys to take pay cuts yet for some reason we have a blank check for Ukraine and I don't I don't think we can exactly explain where it's going to Ukraine where's where the money is going they're 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 asking uh defense trade groups are asking for continuing continuing resolutions uh because they said that the inflation alone is costing the Pentagon six billion a month and whatever they're whatever they're spending it on, uh, problems persist because inflation exists in the face of record inflation. Uh, and I, you know, I know a lot of people, a lot of people bitch about this is a big deal uh, to cut pay. When I mean, yes, it's special pay, and yes, it wasn't always there, but now you're used to it. And and I thought in the government, if you're used to it, you're just supposed to keep getting it. That's why they that's why they justify budgets. You need to spend as at least as much as you did last year, if not more, because when the fiscal fiscal year rolls around, we need to spend this much money because I need to have my stuff. And again, it goes back to personal power. It also goes back to Washington fucking everything up with money because at the end of the line, you know someone who can who can do it for you. Um, we all have jokes about each other. And I, I think there's a difference between bitching and whining. Because I, <laughs> I, I used to bitch a lot, but I didn't like to whine. Uh, you can bitch about stuff, how ma- much it sucks, but it's all the matter you say it. Oh, this sucks. That's whining. Or this fucking sucks is bitching. So, But anyway, the point I'm getting at is that the I think the branch that bitches the least is the Air Force. So I don't know why they're picking on the Air Force, but... I am going to share a quick joke, and if you heard it, just hear it again, and then maybe you can comment that I told it wrong. But like, because mar- Marines get shit gear, they still have. That was their own fault. Marines didn't want to get more budget because that would have to say some Marines are more special than others, and Marines always want to say that everyone's a, every one of the Marine Corps is a rifleman, which is true. But you got to play the game if you want to get the budget. But Marines really did still do a great job with hand-me-downs from the army the army bitches you know uh the navy god yes the navy bitches for a good reason imagine if you're on a ship and you're painting or you're chipping paint that's gray and then you paint over the chip with gray and then you paint over the paint with the grad bitch too but the we all have jokes about each other and an air force joke that i love is there's a uh a ranger an army ranger and a navy seal and an air force dude and they are in a uh, survival slash like a survival evasion resistance escape. It's it's a it's a prisoner of war type school. And the instructor comes in one day and says, "All right, pop quiz, guys. You're in your tent, and a scorpion comes in. What do you do?" And he looks at the ranger, and the ranger says, "Well, I kill the scorpion because now I can eat it, and I have protein, and that gives me strength to escape, to run, or to fight if I have to." And the instructor's like, that's good. Navy SEAL, scorpion comes in your tent. What do you do? And the Navy SEAL says, well, I like what the ranger's saying. That's cool, but I think I'm going to try to get a better angle on the scorpion so that when I step on it, I don't hurt his stinger. So now I have a weapon. 
I can fight the guards with that. I can maybe kill something else with that. And I have the protein from the scorpion. I can eat it. Then he said to the uh, Air Force guy, your turn. You're in your tent and a scorpion walks in. What do you do? And the Air Force guy goes, well, the first thing I do is I go to the phone and I call the concierge and I ask him, why the fuck is there a tent in my suite? But a lot of problems there with spending are there because of inflation and because we've never known how to how to keep a book. Uh, it's always, um, you got to keep your budget. You got to keep your budget the same so you keep getting the money so your pet projects keep coming so you can maintain your power. And the money we're sending to Ukraine, it's to stabilize their economy. It's to help with their banks. Uh, very, very vague wording, and it, it doesn't just happen right now. I mean, yes, it costs money to uh, make Patriot missiles and all that stuff, but stuff you'll see, it go, it's 24 to 36 months down the line where they might be getting it or they might not getting it. get it, knowing that each fiscal year people are pretty much going to forget about what we spent last fiscal year because we're very good at auditing our citizens. We just you know hired 87,000 new IRS agents when we probably could have put armed security in schools. Yeah. It's neither here nor, here nor there, but it takes years to integrate, and there's no oversight. And that's just how it works because, and I've said this before, and I'm going to keep getting into it, that we have, we're, I mean, we're capitalists, and we have people getting into politics to make money. And that's just the way it works. It's one thing in the UK where they have a royal family, and the royal family is just a sign of a... That's a royal family, but they're not, the, they're not the lawmakers, right? Our lawmakers are here, and we're designed as a constitutional republic to have elected representatives that represent their districts and senators who are supposed to go in and debate here and there, and they send stuff to the White House to get signed into law. That's how it should work. Um, well, if it's bipartisan, now we're at a point where they won't even work with each other. Republicans won't work with Democrats and, and vice versa. That's why we actually need more veterans. You know, if they're getting cut, their pay getting cut, they should be running for Congress. If we get veterans into office, that would be better because a vet will get into the same room and debate something out and do what's right. The realization that you're not going to get everything you want, but you're going to get something. Everyone's going to come out of it winning. Uh, and hopefully I think they would be smart enough to get rid of all the pork that they always say they're getting rid of. And pork is just stuff we add at the very, very end. You know, when they give you uh, 20 minutes to read 80,000 pages, there's pork in there going to their district so they can, they being politicians can have bridges and, and buildings built with their name on it because who wouldn't want a bridge built after them on the taxpayer's dime? That's you. Um, but I'm going to give you sort of an idea of how I've mentioned that we're not supposed to be a monarchy but if you've noticed there has been people kind of just around the dc area all the time and it's the same names and there's always been a conflict too we've always really had something going on i think i think president trump was the only one to not start a war he's he also didn't take a paycheck people don't don't ever bring that up but um We'll start with the uh, the royal family of politics, and that's the Bush family. And I want to caveat the Bush family with, um, I think that George W. Bush handled 9-11 great at first. He did a really wonderful job, went to New York. Um, I actually have a tattoo on my arm, that, the quote, and I said this in my head on the flight to Osama bin Laden's house. His words really meant a lot to me. Freedom itself was attacked this morning by a faceless coward, and freedom will be defended. And that's, that is a rally point right there. That's, that's why we say I don't want another 9-11, but I would love another 9-12 because of that attitude. And when, when President Bush went out 
to Yankee Stadium and just zip that dart off the mound opening pitch, uh, the World Series, and he crushed it wearing um, a bulletproof vest. He had body armor on and crushed that. And it's like, people, I mean, he owned a baseball team, and he, and he probably warmed up in the back, but uh, a lot of people take that serious. I know people that I've done it before, and I've, I've put it in the dirt in Arizona, did put it over the, the plate in, in Fenway, no big deal. Um, but people stress about the first pitch. Imagine being the commander-in-chief at a time like that where, I mean, you got to figure 9-11 just happened, and it's kind of on you symbolism you got to throw a strike and he got out there and zipped it uh and he did uh it, it also i met him once and he's he's a genuine guy he seemed very nice and he did write a handwritten letter to me um mentioning uh how it meant something to him that i was saying his words and then i i got you know the tattoo so i need to caveat that with that but i'm going to go back as we talk about a monarchy because the bush family is known as uh, one like they call them uh, um Political royalty. It started with uh, the the dad, Prescott Bush, fought in World War One, art, art, artillery officer, Wall Street banker. So uh, you know, just awesome. That's cool, great. And then uh, one of his sons was um, was uh, President George H. W. Bush, who was President George W. Bush's um, um, father. Uh, he has a badass story because he fought in World War II, which is which is awesome. And I, I love getting into a little bit of cool history because I, I do I, I want to stay as positive as I can, and I don't like to to just bring negativity into everything. And I've said some stuff before that's um, on a whim or on Twitter that it's, it seems like I'm a, I'm a dick, and I don't want to do that. Uh, uh, George H. W. Bush, his story is pretty badass. He was. He uh, enlisted in the Navy as a seaman during World War II, and this is in 1942, and so he went to the Pacific. But he became a, he became a pilot like in a year, and he was the youngest fighter pilot in the U.S. Navy at 20 years old, and he was on a torpedo bomber on, uh, in World War II on the USS San Jacinto. That's a CVL-30, and, and you know we had our little ship lesson a while back. Uh, CVL is a carrier, aircraft carrier, lightweight. Uh, 30 and so he was on their youngest pilot in the Navy torpedo bomber and um, they would fly with uh, a, in his torpedo bomber the jet or the plane uh, they would fly with the ca- the captain of the ship the, the pilot and then the radio guy and then um, a gunner on your plane because you're flying in World War II and they were going so they're fighting right around near Iwo Jima you know, in the islands, they're fighting in the islands of the Pacific. Heavy fire everywhere. There's everything from war on land, obviously. Um, Chichi Jima was a place, too, that they were they were bombing. So you got guys on the ground, bombers in the air, surface ships and submarines fighting. So I don't care who you are, you're in combat. If you're, if you're a mess cook on a ship, you're in combat because if... You know, if we sink in a sub, we're all, we're all going to die just the same. doesn't matter what you look like. But um, they were flying in and... and uh, Bush's normal lieutenant junior grade Bush's normal gunner wasn't going to go because a junior officer was an intel officer wanted to go with him and he figured he could handle the gun and, and which is fine I mean you know as we all know if you're enlisted don't don't give an officer a gun but uh, they um he he was on there so he went with a an assi- a new gunner went with a radio man and and they started getting heavy fire on the way, and they started. I mean, it was it was nasty fire, and they did get shot down. So on the way down, the procedure, and I, I don't want to screw this up, but the procedure is, um, 
when you're the gunner, it's too small of a space to wear a parachute. So the other guy is supposed to hand you a parachute, and you can like put it on and then bail. I mean, you're bailing. So um, you know, it that that is procedure. That's safety procedure, and that shit you got to pay attention to. That's why you got to master the basics wherever you are and pay attention. Pay attention, because life can change dramatically in the blink of an eye. Th- I mean, think about this. How many times have you been on an airplane, a commercial airline? Probably a lot. How many times have you actually listened to the safety brief? Probably pro- safety brief. Probably not. Just close your eyes right now. Can you open the emergency door on the starboard side? Probably not. There's definite directions. And you have to know how to open that thing on, on a water landing. You know, you want you want to get that open and you're supposed to get out and help people out, stand on the on the on the wing. Um, people have died in in uh, in the rivers um, around New York on helicopters because it sets down and the thing rolls because the the weight's on top of a helicopter, and the pilot lived, but the people in the back didn't because they didn't pay attention to how do I get this harness off of me. And when you panic, which you've all seen, you have a tendency to move too fast when you know you should breathe and slow down. Slow is smooth, smooth is fast. Uh, the point is. You got to know your procedures. You got to know safety, and you need to. My one of my favorite sayings is actively participate in saving your own life. Don't don't go to the corner and lay frozen, dying of shame when the active shooter comes in. What are you going to do about it? Do something. Uh, I had a skydive instructor tell me if I burn in on the drop zone. Burn in means if I just burn in. If you walk out to my body, and every single thing every single ripcord or cutaway or pillow or pilot chute is not pulled just pee on me and leave me there actively participate in saving your own life know the procedures and realize you don't get you don't get chaos when it's convenient so they did get shot down this so we're back to lieutenant jg george h w bush his new gunner who's an intel officer and the intel officer is on there because he just wanted to look at the island, like map making or whatever. And, you know, it's a ballsy call. He, intel officers don't need to be right there. He did ballsy. And the radio guy. Well, one guy couldn't make it out. And uh, later in the debrief, President Bush, or Lieutenant J.G. Bush couldn't say who it was. Um, Bush made it out and had a parachute. The other guy jumped to 1,200 feet. And he didn't live. So I'll leave it at that. I mean, did he get his parachute on? Did he know the emergency procedures? Um, what later the normal gunner was the one explaining the procedures. And he says, I wish he said, I wish I could have been on that because I think I could have gotten everyone their parachutes. But that, I mean, that's, that just sucks. But that, that was, um, president George HW Bush in the Navy shot down. Now he's in the middle of the ocean in the Pacific alone. And he was alone for a while, which right there can be scary. I mean, maybe, maybe if you're getting shot down or shipwrecked, it's not that bad of a deal to get killed right away because you don't need to live with being shipwrecked, which could suck because it's hot in the Pacific. And even though there's water, water everywhere, there's not a drop to drink. You drink the salt water, and guess what? It's going to be it's going to dehydrate you more. You can drink your own pee eventually, and then what do you eat? You start eating the least important parts of your body. Horrifying. Well, and the sharks are going to get you, or you're just going to die, uh, or you know, all that horrible, horrible stuff. But he was out there, and he finally was spotted by a, a, a submarine, a U.S. sub, the Finback, which was SS-23. And he said he saw it coming to him, and uh, he said, well, that's a beautiful sight, and I really hope that's one of ours, which, which just tells you about his sense of humor. And he went on the Finback, and they, um, he, he actually he started to – he actually made a very poignant point when he said uh, getting shot down 
it really showed me the the tragedy of war. I'm I'm kind of just uh, spitballing here, but something like the tragedy of war. But when he got on the Finback, they would put there were other pilots that had been shot down by from different carriers on different airplanes, and they were on the Finback too. And he said he went from floating in the island by himself to being in the wardroom and you know having your uh, water and food and like there's a record playing, and then they would stand the watch. He said his favorite watch was what we call balls to four. And that's midnight to zero four. And they would actually, when they would, um, they would rise up to the surface. You could see the sunrise and the waves going over the front of the sub. And you go from the complete destruction and violence and noise of war to looking at the Pacific in the morning. Uh, and he just said it. It it, um, it did something. You know, it, it sort of described war for him. So I mean, that's a hell of a story. He turns. I never met him, but he turns out. I guess that's a hell of a guy. He had 126 carrier landings and i'm not a pilot but if i knocked out one i think it's pretty good and i guess he had uh 1228 flight hours so he was a military guy fought in world war ii that's badass he uh got into congress uh in 1966 he was elected to congress he was um appointed the ambassador to the u.n he led the cia uh and then he was the vice president for eight years under Ronald Reagan. So that is, you know, 1966 to 1988 until he became the 41st president of the United States until 1992. So there's a guy in um, in office is the point I'm getting at. So the Bush family's been in there for a long time. They're, they're uh, since back in the day. Uh, and also during his time as president, you'll notice we invaded, didn't really invade, but uh, Saddam Hussein invaded Kuwait. And that was because uh, they were saying that, you'll start to notice here that oil becomes um, relevant to a lot of the stories and a lot of the shit that goes down in this country. So Saddam Hussein, who also was pretty relevant in a lot of stuff, was saying that Kuwait, very, very rich oil nation in the Middle East, was using these drills that that went down at an angle across the border and they were stealing Iraqi oil, which probably is bullshit. But we know that um, Saddam invaded Kuwait. Support for the operator is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Their products are precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Manscaped Performance Package, the ultimate men's hygiene bundle, has arrived, and so you can join over 6 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer for you. Get 20% off and free worldwide shipping using the code THEOPERATOR at manscaped.com. And with joining 6 million men, if my math is correct, that is just about 12 million balls. I remember when, when we used to uh, to do this, I would borrow uh, trimmers from somebody, and they were always shocked when I returned them, but my beard was still there. Obviously, I was using it somewhere else. <laughs> the guy that I borrowed them from was like, "Well, I was going to tell you before too. I don't just use it on my um, on my beard either." But those weren't designed for downstairs, and sometimes you get nicks or you get little cuts or some chafing, and uh, then you're walking around for about a week looking like some short dude is following you around, hitting you with a blowtorch. But not anymore. The Performance Package 4.0 has arrived, and it is a game changer. In this package, you'll get the Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer. The Weed Whacker Aaron Nose Trimmer, Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant, Crop Reviver Toner, Performance Boxer Briefs, and a travel bag to keep all your goodies in it. This is uh, this is new technology, the fourth generation 
trimmer has ceramic blades to reduce accidents when you're grooming and it's waterproof so that you don't need to worry about making a mess on your bathroom floor or for someone else to clean up for you and cleaning is very very simple The Weed Whacker is also waterproof and provides proprietary skin life technology, which helps reduce nicks, snags, and tugs in those delicate nose holes and ear holes. This is all for your delicate parts of your body. And I don't care if your partner has ever told you it's not a big deal to be groomed down there. You should be groomed down there. And also with the uh, ball deodorant, keep everything fresh. Keep your spirits up, morale high. Keep your partner happy. So if you go to manscaped.com, you'll get 20% off, like I said, free shipping with the code THEOPERATOR. Unlock your confidence, and you can look out for Big Jim and the Twins. And like I've always said, when you cut the grass, the house looks bigger. So Saddam's taking his people into Kuwait, who is not a big military force, and his troops are going nuts over there. They had been at war for a long time with Iran, Again, same names, Iraq, Iran, were fighting basically to a stalemate, killing each other. So Saddam's troops, they know the brutalities of war, and they also know the loots, the, uh, the booty, if you will. So Saddam's troops are now in Kuwait, and they're, um, they're jealous of the Kuwaitis, so they're ransacking, stealing, raping, bad stuff. So we decide we send troops over to, again, same name, Saudi Arabia, for what we called Operation Desert Shield. So now we're going to be there as a deterrent. George um, H. W. Bush is the president. Pres- sorry, George H. W. Bush is the president, and we got to get into who his Secretary of Defense was. So I'll come back to Desert Shield, which turned into Desert Storm. But I need to keep talking about the same names who were in politics. We're going to go to a guy by the name of Dick Cheney, and uh, Dick Cheney. I, I again trying to be. Nice, I guess. Uh, Dick Cheney uh, apparently is not known as being a nice guy. I had a SEAL tell me a story that um, during during Desert Storm, he was somewhere, and he's walking through a hangar, and he saw some Navy SEALs, and I guess he walked up to them kind of like this and said, huh, you're the Navy SEALs? Hmm, that's cool. And he walked away, and then I guess a Secret Service guy came up to, and said, t- come up to the SEAL team and said, hey, thanks, guys. Uh, he just made our day. We haven't seen the vice president laugh that hard ever. <laughs> so anyway, but anyway, Dick Cheney's thing, he's a, another uh, career politician guy. Um, when he got out of school, he realized he didn't fit in in school, whatever his words were. He did manage to get um, five deferments because he was a Vietnam age. He's a war hawk, but didn't fight. So five deferments, that's a lot for whatever reasons they want to say now. He didn't go to Vietnam. He did go to Washington. He became an intern. Uh, In the White House, he, um, for both Presidents Nixon and Ford, he was the Chief of Staff at the White House from 75 to 77. Uh, He did get elected to Congress in 1978. Um, He was the Secretary of Defense in 2000 for Iraq, Kuwait, Saudi Arabia, and the oil. Uh, And then later on, he did become the vice president of the United States. So that's eight years, two terms as vice president. You know what he did in between, though? This is very interesting. In between being the secretary of defense and then getting back in the White House as the vice president, he was the CEO of a company called Halliburton. And uh, during the second 
they call it the second Iraq war, but it's the actual Iraq war. Halliburton managed to get $39.5 billion in government contracts. And I know we throw the word billion around nowadays a lot and doesn't seem like much, but for your company that you're the CEO of to get $39.5 billion in contracts and... Um, like when I was in Iraq, each time I was in Iraq, and a lot of vets can can uh, agree with me, everywhere you look, there's Halliburton. Halliburton's doing all the jobs. Halliburton's doing all the cooking. They're putting up all the Hescos. I want to know who Mr. Hesco was, too. Hescos, Hescos are the um, the huge sandbags. They're full of sand, surrounded by like wire, and they're they're much. It's it's, it's easier than. Um, filling sandbags by hand like you see in the Vietnam movies. They just bulldoze these things, fill them with stuff, and they work really good. And the Hesco, the Hescos took over the uh, the defense industry as far as defending us in on base. And I, I bet I bet the sandbag family was pissed because they thought they had that market cornered. Anyway, he was he was the um the CEO of Halliburton. Halliburton made a shit ton of money. And being a career politician from nineteen seventy eight up until two thousand eight and having a net worth of yourself of $86 million, it's not a bad gig. So there was that. So he, he was the Secretary of Defense when we um, invaded, well, when we went over to Saudi Arabia to help the Iraqis. And we did, we did fight the Iraqis in Desert Storm Desert Shield, which you might remember in the early 90s. And um, that was a success up to a point. Now, here, here's what gets really interesting. This is around the time that there was a dude around, and his name was Osama bin Laden. I bring him up once in a while. Osama bin Laden was the head of Al-Qaeda, which means the base. We had been helping them defeat the Russians, same names, in Afghanistan. Same names. Afghanistan, obviously, the uh, graveyard of empires. But bin Laden, we were, we were sending money, whoever, you know, Charlie Wilson's war, whoever's getting it. We're sending Stinger missiles to shoot down the Russians, kind of like we're doing right now to shoot down the Russians. A lot of government contracts being spent, a lot of people getting paid, a lot of side room deals, back room deals, shit like that. Anyway, Bin Laden's over there, and they defeat the Mujahideen. <laughs> they defeat the Mujahideen, and Mujahideen means army of God. We would shorten it to Muj because you don't want to whatever. It just sounded cool. Not to make them cool, but that's what we said. Um, he's got the army, and he actually said um, Bin Laden was from Saudi Arabia, as were 15 of the 19 hijackers on 9-11, Saudi Arabia. Same names. Weird. And he said with his army of the Mujahideen, he can defend them against Saddam. He'll just put his army there, but someone convinced someone that the United States needs to be there. That really pissed off bin Laden. Uh, he, he hated us before, even though we helped him in Afghanistan, and then he declared a fatwa, which is a, basically a holy war. And, and bin Laden said that killing Americans, civilians, women, it's all justified under, under that. So that was that. At first, so that's reason for Bin Laden to be very angry with us, and uh, then we helped Kuwait. We helped liberate Kuwait um, with our air force, and it was the it was a hundred hour war, two hundred hour war, where we just crushed them with our tank guys. Just we realized how awesome our tank crew is. We showed the world what our army can do when we let our army be our army, and those tanks went after Russian made tanks in Iraq and just fucked them up so bad that they had uh, Iraqi soldiers, Iraqi the elite Republican Guard were surrendering to film crews, which I think is crazy. The air crew was crushing them. It was so good. The highway of death, they called it. The guys were retreating to Baghdad. It was so bad that I guess uh, President Bush 41 saw it, and it was so brutal 
that he actually stopped doing it. And he said, well, now, and because, and we'll have to get into this later, but the, um, uh, Saddam being a Sunni, um, the Shiite could rise up in Iraq, and so could the Kurds in the north, and then you can defeat Saddam. We did our job, and everyone will be happy. And that's how politicians think about wars and completely fucked it up because Saddam took over and just ran over the Shia and the Kurds. And, uh, and we're talking shit where cameras aren't there, so we don't know what's happening. But if you think about it, you know what's happening. Um, and so we, we, President Bush actually left Saudi, well, we, didn't, we never left Saudi Arabia. We're there the whole time, but we left Iraq. Big victory. I, there was like a parade or some bullshit. Um, but we did such a bad job finishing it because, again, we don't know how to finish a war that Bush actually lost uh, his reelection bid to a guy by the name of Bill Clinton. Here's a name you're going to hear again Clinton. So Bill Clinton won. And, uh, and then because of the military industrial complex, we had all, all kinds of stuff going on. We all know. Um, we all know what happened in in um, his second term with uh, an intern named Monica Lewinsky. That was bad, so we decided we better bomb Kosovo and uh, and, and mess up the Serbs, you know, because that we'd have to buy and pay for more planes and missiles and troops and and lodging and galleys and you know chow halls and all that good stuff. So someone's getting a contract, someone's getting rich, so we're bombing there. Um, but if you back up, a lot of people don't know this. Right around 1993, President Clinton authorized some cruise missile strikes on Iraqis because they said the Iraqis were trying to assassinate his predecessor, President H.W. Bush. So you got Clinton's, Bush's, Cheney's involved. What if I told you that food shortages are no joke? They're coming soon. That's why I strongly encourage you to get some emergency food. It stays fresh for the day you need it, even years from now. With everything falling apart in America and around the world, I urge you to get your emergency food today by going to preparewithrob.com. You'll find a $250 savings on a Ready Hour three-month emergency food kit from My Patriot Supply. My Patriot Supply is America's largest and most trusted preparedness company. They've served millions of your fellow citizens. Right now, you'll save $250 on a three-month kit with tasty breakfasts, delicious lunches, dinners, drinks, and snacks that give you over 2,000 calories a day. Get one kit for every member of your family and save $250 each. Your orders ship Fast and they ship free. When you're ready for real preparedness, look for Ready Hour Foods with My Patriot Supply. Go to preparewithrob.com. That's preparewithrob.com and save $250 on your emergency food kit. Preparewithrob.com. So, we, I mean, we have uh, powerful people protecting powerful people. A lot of people are getting paid, and there's a lot of the same names, a lot of Warhawks. Lots of Warhawks out there. It was in it was in 1993. So th- there was okay after um, we won Desert Storm. Um, President George H. W. Bush made a trip to Kuwait, and there was a, allegedly uh, an assassination t- attempt on him with a. Um, they were going to use a vehicle, and they had explosives in it. They were going to kill him. It was RDX was the explosive they were using, I believe, which is odd, but because uh, that's some shit we would use. But they did, uh, they got 12 confessions from 12 dudes, approximately 12 dudes, 
who said, yeah, we were going to kill him, but they didn't. And then uh, um, it's like one of those stories where you say, yeah, here's this time I almost died. Actually, I, I didn't even get hurt, but there I was, no shit. Um, so these guys confessed. They were released, and then they said, well, no, we confessed because we were getting tortured by somebody. And then they went back, and then uh, uh, President Clinton in 1993 launched cruise missiles at them, and it killed between 8 and 12 people in, in Baghdad. They said they were targeting their, their intel places because someone had tried to make an assassination attempt on President Bush. So we got, um, we're got we working with the same names here. We heard Cheney before. The Clintons now. The Clintons have been on, they did two terms, bomb Bosnia. Hillary Clinton was around since. Uh, she was learning about the impeachment process like since Watergate. And so she's there. She, um, an attorney, um, you've heard of her, um, married to the governor of Arkansas, Bill Clinton, and then she was the first lady in the White House for eight years. She became a senator um, in the United States, ran for president a few times, basically a uh, head of the State Department, the, the top diplomat. You're working the government for a long, long time, run for president a few times, senator, and then it makes sense that you're worth $120 million dollars. There's a lot of money. I'm not going to say too much about Hillary Clinton because I like my show. Um, so you got the names, and I'm, I'm so we got um, we got uh, we're going to get into me getting to SEAL Team Six, but how pe- some people got to where we got because uh, it it was supposed to stay that way. It, it was it was uh, Bush as a vice president with Reagan, then Bush as president, then Bill Clinton. And then, uh, even though there was the the 2000 election with Al Gore and George Bush, who who the hell knows how they run elections? It was Bush again. Then it's supposed to be um, Hillary Clinton as president, but this dude came out of nowhere. His name's Barack Obama, so he took the reins, no problem. Hillary will be next after Barack Obama because she's not going to run against Barack Obama for a number of reasons. But then out of nowhere comes Donald Trump. And uh, for some weird reason, these families hate him now. The Cheneys hate him. The Clintons hate him. The Bushes hate him. Remember, what was he calling um, Jeb Bush? He, he, had, he had nicknames for everybody, but he was so bad to Jeb Bush. Uh, they, um, they really don't like him because Jeb Bush was, it was either going to be Hillary Clinton or Jeb Bush, Clinton, Bush, Clinton, Bush. That's how it was supposed to go. But he kept calling him low energy Jeb and he kind of embarrassed embarrassed Jeb Bush when he was uh, he was you know obviously the next nominee for the Republican Party and there's that famous scene of Jeb Bush so embarrassed where he said something at a rally and said well you're supposed to clap and like that's the end of it there um, so Trump becomes president and then um, it, you know it's if you, if you look at it it's almost like okay so George H Sorry, George W. Bush had Dick Cheney for eight years as his vice president. He was prior to that. He was um, he was the uh, sec def for Desert Storm. And um, then Barack Obama has Joe Biden. And you, you can see in interviews, Barack Obama would say, well, he would, he would want a nominee to be someone sort of a puppet so that he could push him around, maybe get a third term, something like that. And I'm not suggesting a conspiracy theory there. I'm just saying what people say and what's on tape. Stuff like that, and then uh, you know Hillary Clinton was supposed to be the president, but Donald Trump beat her, and she's still talking about that. But if you've noticed, she's kind of coming back around again. So same names uh, in politics, and we're always talking about how we need new blood. We need something new. Well, we we have old people up there. What's the saying? It's <laughs> it's not the person in the White House for four years is the problem. It's the person who's in the Capitol for fifty years that's the problem. So if you look back now, and we're going to talk about 9-11, uh, obviously I was just down there 
the other day, I went to Cantor Fitzgerald, who basically lost their entire office on 9-11. The first plane hit their office. Uh, it's always very touching to go down to lower Manhattan, especially on the anniversary. This was the 21st anniversary of 9-11, and that, that's real. It happened. And uh, it's tough. Uh, when, we, when we were attacked on 9-11, I was at SEAL Team 2 in Germany. I've told that story. But watching the towers fall, I was in an operations center on the, on, the, um, on the TV watching them fall, then seeing the smoke out of the Pentagon, then hearing of Shanksville, Pennsylvania, which to me is the most amazing story, Flight 93, United 93, where the first Americans to really fight Al-Qaeda to the death toe-to-toe were those people on that plane, those passengers that were simply flying across the country. And then the next thing, like I said, life can change in the blink of an eye. Everything you know can change in the blink of an eye. Everything that matters to you doesn't matter anymore. Right now matters. And they voted. They talked to each other. They voted. They pulled the American Democratic way. They voted. They fought Al-Qaeda. They saved the Capitol. And that's a good thing. So I was a Navy SEAL and I knew my life just changed. I knew all of our lives just changed, not just me, not just my SEAL team, not my platoon, the entire military. The Air Force is about to get really busy. The Green Berets are about to fuck some people up. We're about to do, where do you want us? Are we going to Sudan? Fine. Are we going to Afghanistan? Fine. Where, where are we going? What are we going to do? Um, now, there are, there are um, people that were working in the White House that said, not long after 9-11, the president and his national security team were drawing up plans to invade Iraq. There were people in the White House that couldn't believe what they were hearing. President Bush called Tony Blair a few days after 9-11 and was saying how Iraq was involved. And they were talking about how Tony Blair was perplexed, how they're going to try to make that work. He talked to um, heads of state. He had the King of Jordan, I think, on the Truman balcony over there, and they were... He was explaining to him how how that it had to be uh, Al-Qaeda associated with Saddam Hussein, how they were together. Ambassador Prince Bandar bin Sultan came to the White House to see President Bush, and the meeting took place. This is where the Truman Balcony was. And uh, they, 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 couldn't, they said that there's no way that Saddam Hussein is involved with Al-Qaeda. They didn't have anything to do with 9-11. That proved to be right. But the Bush administration is trying to... We're going to go into Iraq. We're going to invade Iraq. And if you think about it, it was the Iraqis that tried to assassinate his father. And that's part of the reason that we went in. But I think a lot of people were taking advantage of of the way we all felt after 9-11. Someone's going to pay. We went into Afghanistan off the bat, and we beat the shit out of them. We being the uh, special forces guys, the CIA and the Air Force, beat the shit out of them. They, they you know, killed a bunch of guys. They damn near got Bin Laden off the bat in Tora Bora. Pushed him into Pakistan where we prove we don't know how to win a war because that's where the enemy goes. And then for some reason, we decided we're going to rebuild Afghanistan. But we still need to kick more ass. We beat them too quickly. Uh, the Ground Zero is still smoldering. We need revenge. This is the perfect opportunity to get rid of Saddam Hussein. So that's, you know, that's what we did. And that's what I felt like doing because at the time, I think I might have been 27 or 28. I'm a Navy SEAL and I'm ready to fight. Everyone here is ready to fight. We're going to fight. Um... I was at SEAL Team 2. We switched to SEAL Team 4, and all that meant is that the guys from SEAL Team 2 literally walked across. The way the buildings were set up were uh, SEAL Team 2 was a building on one corner, then SEAL Team 8 was right by that, then SEAL Team 4 is over here, and they're building SEAL Team 10. The guys from SEAL Team 2 and 4 literally crossed 
each other's paths. And the guys from four became team two. The guys from two became four. SEAL Team Four used to go to South America. SEAL Team Two to Europe. Uh, we're all going to eventually go to Afghanistan, but we switched over there, went there. Um, SEAL Team Four was uh, it was decent. You know, it was fun. Shitty buildings. Uh, we did a deployment. We thought we were going to get in on the invasion of Iraq, and again. It is justified. I don't care if it's not justified because we're going to fight. Um, we were on a couple ships. We were going to go in with the Marines through Turkey, but we had a problem in in uh, Liberia. So we had to turn around there, um, swim into Liberia, and do a hydrographic reconnaissance. <laughs> um, there was shooting in there, but it's a civil war. They're trying to get rid of their president. Our friends are in Iraq having an invasion. They said it's unbelievable to invade a country. We want to get there. I think I'm going to miss the war. In Iraq, it's going to be over really soon. I got to get to Afghanistan. I did have orders to go to SEAL Team Six after this deployment, so we did our Liberia thing where we swam, and that's where that picture of me with the big uh, dip on the beach. I was actually looking for. Uh, I was looking out on the left flank, holding security. Our guys did a did a um, hydrographic reconnaissance, a real world mission when other guys are you know rolling through southern Iraq and killing people. Uh, the only cool thing about that hydro or not, yeah, the hydrographic reconnaissance is when we were on a ship and we had. I always say, pay attention to the, pay attention to the simple stuff, the basics. Um, one thing I never paid attention to was the dangers from marine life because I'm a big believer that if if something in the water is going to get you, your time is just up. So stop worrying about it. But they mentioned to us that we're going to be swimming off the coast of West Africa. So basically, every man-eating shark you could think of is going to be out there. There shouldn't be. This high up, this far north, but you could run into saltwater crocodiles. They're man-eaters, 20 feet long. Um, I hope you don't run into, into hippos. There shouldn't be any here again, but hippos kill, kill more people in the world than anybody. And then uh, here's where you're going to be landing, and it's called Black Mamba Point. The reason it's called Black Mamba Point is there's a lot of black mambas. They'll kill you. Uh, so that's about as dangerous as it got. When we flooded the well deck of that, I think it was the, was it the LaSalle? It was something. It was a ship. When we flooded it, there were hammerheads out there. Like some would swim up near and into the ship. And it's like, wow, this is going to be a fun daytime hydrographic reconnaissance. But that's uh, that's as close as I got to combat on that deployment. Went back. Guys are still fighting in Iraq. We're getting word of some serious fight. A little bit of fighting in Afghanistan. Obviously, at the beginning, they were killing it. And then I started Green Team. Uh, selection to SEAL Team 6. And that was... Uh, that was something that was, uh, in order to get to SEAL Team 6, you need to get approved by your conventional team to represent them because they're sending the guys that hopefully will be their best. And you're, you're putting your trident on the line when you're going to SEAL Team 6. There's no doubt about it. Uh, you're betting my trident that I will be at SEAL Team 6, or if I don't make it through selection, I'm going to be the guy known as the guy who couldn't make it through Green Team. So you get you get selected by your team, you go over there, and we have the first part is a really hard physical test. This is this is just to like maybe make it to green team. And the, the test is I think I want to say it's a hundred push-ups, a hundred sit-ups, ten pull-ups, and then a, th- a three-mile run in twenty-one thirty, and then an eight hundred meter swim, and I forget the time. But uh, like some guys didn't pass the run, which to me sucks. It's a 730 mile. You got to be able to run that. You're running in shoes. Then they give you a psychological evaluation that cracked me up that uh, it was about 5,000 questions. I know it took a long time to do it. And you're, you got a number two pencil in your hand, like, you know, at school and you got to fill out these bubbles. And it's like the bubbles are marked one through five. And it's, uh, 
based on behavior. So one is never. They'll ask you a question. No, I never feel like that. And then there's two. And then three is seldom. And then like four. And five is I always feel like that. And the questions make no sense. They're in no order. But some PhD came up with an algorithm to get in your head. I'll give you an example. Number one, and they're not always questions. Number one, you love roses. And you're like, yeah, man, five, always. Every, everyone loves roses. Nailing this. Number two, you want to decapitate kittens. You're like, shit, that escalated quickly. Seldom. Kittens, whatever. We, you know, we, it took a long time to finish that test, a number of hours. And I asked the psychiatrist, what was the point of this test? And she said, oh, we're not trying to figure out if you're crazy. We're trying to figure out which flavor of crazy you are for placement. Uh, this is all after an oral board where uh, this is actually where your reputation does matter um, because during the oral board, they're handing your picture around to guys who are already there. We call it the second deck. That's where the shooters are at SEAL Team 6. And if, you, if someone doesn't like you, if they saw you pull some shit out at the bars or you're an asshole or they knew you from Team 2 and you didn't put out on the runs, and I, I know I was saying that uh, you don't judge an operator by how fast he can run. But if someone didn't like the way you didn't run, if someone didn't like the way you did the bare minimum, I mentioned earlier that you know you don't need to do 100 when they ask for 42. Here you might want to. You want to put out as hard as you can because you're going to be with the best of the best. And if someone gives you too many thumbs down and your reputation sucks, you might not even make it through that part. So you do that hard physical test another time, and that's a three-week screening process. Then you get your, uh, your cage and you share it with someone else, and then you start green team. Um, I think it's another hard physical test. And then Green Team usually is famous for starting off the day with at least a 10-mile run. Your average day is a 10-mile run really fast. And it's still head games. I mean, we're all Navy SEALs, but now we consider ourselves, some of us are old and broken. Some of us are studs. But uh, you start these really long runs, at the, you know, very, very early, pre-dawn runs. And then you get into the first, when I went through the first part of selection, was skydiving and we were still coming up with tactics so we would do jumps that were called line outs um so we went down to well it was kind of fun the first week we we actually went to uh fort bragg for the wind tunnel to get better at uh, a wind tunnel is obviously indoor skydiving where you can get better at keeping your body stable and the reason you want to get good at keeping your body stable if you ever do a real world combat jump you don't want to be thinking about screwing up your exit and exits are easy to screw up Easier than you'd think to screw up. You want to be able to nail an exit wearing your gear. You don't want to because it can lead to something worse. If you jump on a combat mission, especially in the mountains, and you tumble too far, then you have a bad parachute. You got to cut that. All of a sudden, you're way behind your um, your stack. God forbid you land by yourself in Afghanistan hurt. You might be in for a long day, but a short life. So we did the wind tunnel, went to Marana, Arizona. We're doing line-out drill, hay-hoes, high-altitude, high-opening. Fall for a minute, pull your canopy and land. And we would work in groupings. We weren't quite to the point where we did eventually get at SEAL Team 6 where we're hiring canopy masters to teach us how to fly the canopies, how to fly in a stack. Uh, and a line-out is just jump straight out and fall. And uh, we know we do them at night to the point where when you open together after falling, you don't want to hit each other. You know, jump all day. Five or six jumps a day, which are combat jumps. That's a lot of stuff in between packing your own parachute, making sure your gear's right, uh, jump master safety inspections, all that good shit. We we actually got some of the night jumps were so spooky that we would go get stakes every night, you know, be it Outback or Little Abner's in Tucson, just because this might be my last day on the planet because it's just so fucking dangerous. Uh, a lot of jumps. We did we did very few hay-hos, but we got into hay-hos later. In life, this first this is first part of selection. We're just doing jumps and making sure we know how to use the canopy, know how to read the winds, 
know how to get in a stack and know how to land. And, you know, obviously the 10 to 14 mile runs a day. So we would do that. And this is the first three weeks for us in selection. Then we went to Shaw's in Walls, Mississippi for CQB, close quarters battle. And that's the hardest part of Green Team. Green Team is known to have the best CQB in the world. And CQB is the hostage rescue style entry that you see on action movies. Um, where you know they come in, they come in fast. We use fast in training to see how people can think. Um, how, if are you the type of a person who can come into a situation, make a mistake instantly, but realize you have a job to do? Worrying about this mistake right now is not going to help. I'm going to keep going, and afterwards in the debrief we can talk about that, and I can learn from it. Or are you the person that comes into a situation, makes a mistake, and then you can't stop thinking about that mistake, even though it doesn't matter, and you dwell on that mistake, you can't get over that mistake. And because you're thinking about the mistake in front of you, over here to your left, you make a bigger mistake, and that's where they get you. And that's when you're fucked. And if you make a big mistake, they have different, they have different uh, violations there. They, have a, they call it um, LSA, which is a lack of situational awareness. Uh, there's a GLSA, which is a gross lack of situational awareness, safety violations. And if, if you're unsafe in there, they're looking for you. They're going to fire you quickly. And if you start getting smaller ones, the bigger ones add up because they're punishing you for mistakes that you made. They're also punishing you in CQB for mistakes that you didn't make to see how you handle making a mistake you know you didn't make in your head as you're doing tire drags in between house runs and everything like that. It's getting in your head. It's stressful. I, I got to a point one day, like I'm having three of the best runs in the day. Usually you're either... Doing house runs in the morning, have lunch, and then you're at the range shooting, which is awesome because now you're learning from actual shooting instructors and it's low, low stress. There, The high stress is in the house. But I, I remember, I think we did four runs in the morning. Three were perfect for me. It's a Friday. It's awesome. I'm, you know, We get the weekend off. We're going to go to Beale Street, have some drinks, and it's going to be great. But uh, I screwed up so bad on the fourth one. They made me do another run, but they made me carry a broom because I'm too unsafe to have a gun. They're in my head. It's like, holy shit. I'm in green team, and I thought I was doing great. I might be, be gone. I might get kicked out. I might not make it to SEAL Team 6, because, and that's the head game, broom stuff, whatever. I got over it, made my way back up. There, there was a time, uh, there was a run we did where I saw a guy get immediately fired. It was a corner-fed room at the end of a hallway. I was the number one man. No, I was the two man, because as we went in the corner-fed room, the one man went straight, which means I went to the right, but it's going down different walls. And the way this room is set up is I, I went to the right down a wall. The guy in front of me went straight. So that's one man. Here's two men. That's me. And in front of me are three stalls. The rest of the room is clear, but there's bathroom stalls. And my job is going to be to reach out, open a stall. A, bath, a bathroom stall opens out. Usually it can, maybe not. And if there's a target, someone's going to shoot. Someone's going to identify the unknown. If it's a threat, it shoots. So it should be as simple as clear, next door, clear, next door, Boom, boom, two to the head, clear. But the way this went down, because the guy behind me, there was one, I was two, three, number four man in the room was having a bad day. And uh, he's on my wall with me. I reach out to my right and I pull that door open. There's a threat inside and he shoots right in front of my nose. Like I could feel the heat of live ammunition because we go live in the house right at this thing. He shoots and he shot twice, but not quick. It was boom. Boom, almost as if, oh, I fucked up, but I better finish. So I just stopped. Nothing happened. And we kind of look around. I look up at one of the range safety officers, a guy who was that blue squadron that I knew from SEAL Team 2, and he looked down and he goes, I'm sorry, Nisro. I really should have blown my whistle on that one, but I was so afraid I swallowed it. 
So anyway, that got fired. That guy got fired. Never haven't seen him since. But that's how quickly you get fired in CQB, and that's uh, that's a very intense course. That part is three to four weeks, but you soon find out that you use CQB everywhere. We use it in military operations, urban terrain, obviously in CQB, but you're going to use it in houses. You're going to use it on ships, visit board, search and seizure, VBSS. You are using it after you climb. So then we get into other stuff. We get into, um, we do that. We do the uh, heavy weapons training with vehicles. We're going to learn how to drive everything from Humvees to Panders. Because like I said, this is a selection course for SEAL Team 6. We're all Navy SEALs. We've all been there. This is a point where nobody is a new guy here. You are a newer guy. No one says the word meat. None of that shit. Um, We get into uh, the boats, the high-speed boats that we're going to use, the assault craft that are badasses. And that's another example of the military being really cool. Those boats look cool, really fucking suck. Because those are the boats that we jump out of the plane. Those are the ones you've seen on the video when we rescued Captain Phillips. We sent four of those boats out. They're awesome boats. I would love to have one. But, well, I don't know if it's just me or just Red Squadron, but it seemed like anytime we have those boats out, it's raining and it's choppy and it's shitty, which means you're flying. And that's why a lot of a lot of guys have bad backs and a lot of boat guys are about three inches shorter than they were in high school because it's the constant compression. We get into that. We did the jumping. We did the CQB. Um, it is a selection course, but it's more of a mental selection course to see how you can handle the stress. If we can make stress around you, are you the person who can admit the stresses in your head? Like I was saying at the beginning, stress is a choice. Can you get over it? You got, that's, and that's it. And you'll hear me say this again and again in life. Whatever it is, get over it. Like when we were flying in to go get Bin Laden, and we were flying out after getting Bin Laden. We could have been shot down a mis- by a missile at any time. But we didn't think about it. You know why? It didn't matter if we thought about it. If the missile hits me, me thinking about it, it's not, I'm not a superhero. I just look like one. <laughs> no, no. It's your thought. If you're worrying about something right now that your thoughts can't affect, you got to stop thinking about it. You got to get over it. You're wasting your energy. Concentrate on stuff you can affect. The same with the sharks. It's up to the shark. If the missile hits us, it's up to the missile. But that's what the stress course is in SEAL Team 6, a selection to get there. Because I've seen people do it. You get in a spot, something goes wrong, you think about that, you stress about the next one. Stop. Make your mental checklist. Check them off in order of importance. If it's not important, don't do it. If it doesn't matter, don't, don't, don't worry about it. It just doesn't matter. That's how simple it is. And, and that's, I mean, it was not that, it was very, very detailed, very, very structured, but it's a different point where they can just shit can you. If someone doesn't like you, they shit can you. That's it. And, but you keep going. And, and, and what I did find, though, in Green Team, the selection to get to SEAL Team 6, I met the best operators in the world. I was so excited to work with these guys. They were so cool, man. Just cool dudes. I'm awesome at everything. Kick-ass jumpers. Kick-ass senses of humor. Um, one cool thing about green team is you get your own jet. It's a JSOC jet. It's the general's jet because if you get to a certain level in the military, they give you your own jet because you're way too cool for school. And you got, I mean, you got to have room for all the guys that carry your fucking luggage, right? So, um, we would get our own jets and then, um, you know, fly places with each other. Training was hard. Guys got kicked out. Guys got hurt. Didn't make it. If you're good though, they'll give you another shot. And then, uh, we're training. You know, I did a kick-ass course up at uh, Notre Dame. The first time I saw Touchdown Jesus was to, to work on Humvees, learn how they actually drive. They have driving courses to teach you how the Humvee's supposed to be driven. You're doing that training. Um, the instructors don't necessarily sla- slack off, but they do remind you that 
as soon as you're done with this, you're going to war with SEAL Team 6 and it's in the mountains. It's for real. And you're going to go to Iraq. And uh, that's that. But um, I remember the day that we were at SEAL Team 6 and um, we're, we had our cage area right by the green team um, office and then the weight room was right behind us and they had this cork board and all they simply did was post who's going where. And you kind of walk over and you see your names. You, who's your boys you're going red team with? I wanted red team. I don't know why. I just did. Maybe it's my locks of hair that I used to have or, or whatever. And then some guys went to gold. Some guys went to blue. And uh, it was just cool because at that point, I didn't give a shit where I went. I wanted to go to one of them. I wanted to get a patch because that's another rite of passage is you, you get your trident after such a long time and you are a Navy SEAL. Now you get your patch. And not everybody has a patch. Not everybody you've heard of was at SEAL Team 6. SEAL Team 6 is the only Tier 1 unit in the Navy. I remember being excited. I got to SEAL Team 6. I'm not, I'm not making this up. I remember thinking, this is so cool. I'm going to get to work with Delta Force. I hope I get to meet the guy at Delta who kills bin Laden because that's just going to be awesome. It's going to be Delta. But, uh, that I mean, that course, I, I made it sound easy. Some of the skydiving stuff I'll get into later, some of the tactics we had to develop because we did, we're constantly coming up with tactics because we really believe the worst thing you can say when you're running anything, when you're running a unit, when you're with your team at work, the worst thing you can say is, uh, well, this is the way we've always done it. That's resting on your laurels and you can't do that. Don't rest on your laurels. That's what causes complacency. Well, it's worked before. We're successful now. Complacency will get you killed. But that, I mean, that course, I think 50% of the guys didn't make it through, but the ones who did got there, and there we went. And then we went to Iraq. I'll tell Iraq stories later, but the point I was making with the beginning of this, and you'll hear it now, a lot of veterans are pissed off that we went to Iraq. I was talking about all the politics that get involved, the people in D.C. with great mustaches that are war hawks that have never even been fucking close to a battlefield. A lot of people making the calls that... uh, making the calls to invade, but we never know how to get out. A lot of people were killed in Iraq. I killed a lot of people in Iraq. My first kill was in Iraq. A lot of my friends were killed in Iraq. A lot of, a lot of people were killed in Iraq, got blown up for different reasons. And, and it all comes back to, I mean, I am a big believer in it doesn't matter why you're here. Right now, it doesn't matter why you're here. You're just here. So what are you going to do about it? Time's ticking. And that's fine because we got to a point in Iraq where, yes, we're killing, but I'm not killing for George Bush. I'm not killing because his father almost got assassinated. I'm killing because of the guy next to me because I'm going to watch his ass. He's watching mine. I'm killing because I'm going to go home. We're here to win right now because we're in the fight. It doesn't matter why. But looking back, did we really need to do that? No. Did we take our eye off Afghanistan? Yes. Did we fuck up Afghanistan? Yes. Did we fuck up Iraq? Yes. Are we still in Iraq and Afghanistan? Eh, a little bit. We still have Americans in Afghanistan. We're still fucking up Iraq. It's like the butterfly effect. One guy got pissed because one guy tried to kill another guy. Boom. Thousands of people are dead. You know, it's, it's one of the points too where I, there are guys I think of every single day that I kill. And I wondered, why did we kill each other? Well, because we were there. I killed him because he grabbed a gun. He grabbed a gun because I was in his room. We got in a fight. I killed him. Then you start to wonder, huh, I wonder if he was funny. Would we have gotten along if I didn't meet him in Ramadi, but I met him in a coffee shop somewhere and we laughed about something? Maybe he told me a joke I didn't know. But here we are. I've said it before. We all have it in common. 
Every one of us, doesn't matter what you look like, where you're from, time's ticking for all of us. Life can change in an instant, so make sure you give someone you love a hug every morning, every evening, and you're never out of the fight.